Now, I have been stuck. Uh, if you come to New Hope for any amount of time, at least these last month or two, I have been stuck lately in the law of God, um, in, in what's called the Pentateuch, uh, the, the books of Moses, the first five books of the Bible. Uh, I've just really been reading a lot into them, and the Lord's been showing me some pretty neat things in those laws, the laws from God given to Moses and recorded in those first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Uh, I feel the same way of the psalmist. The psalmist says in 119, chapter 119, verse 97, he says, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day long. Oh, I love God's law, his word, his commandments. To me, they're not grievous. I love them. I love studying about them and learning about them. I love his law. I have been saved for a long time, but his word has not gotten old to me, nor has his law. I love the law. Now, I do believe that there are many Christians who avoid the Old Testament. And, and, you know, you hear comments about that over time. People avoid it. I'm telling you this. If you're one of those people that avoids the Old Testament, oh, it's too difficult. Uh, Oh, I don't want to mess with that. We have the New Testament now. Why do you read the Old Testament? I'm just going to tell you, you're missing out on some great stuff. Uh, As a matter of fact, I had a buddy that recently sent me we like this one particular uh preacher that he's deceased now but we watch a lot of his videos and this man has spent an insurmountable time studying the bible i mean it's unreal this guy knows greek he knows hebrew and aramic all the all he knows it and he can even pronounce all those different languages correctly and we watch a lot of these videos well a buddy of mine sent me one recently a month ago or so from this particular pastor that we respect and we love his teachings and preachings. And this man, through all of his studies, he found there there is a page in the Word of God that we can actually take out, we can remove. It is a useless page in the Bible. And after listening to him, I'm going to be inclined to agree with what this man said. And... I'll even tell you where this page is. There is a page in the Bible we can rip out and discard. It's found just after the book of Malachi, right before the book of Matthew. It's that divider page from the Old Testament and the New Testament. You can rip that out of there because I'll tell you why. God gave us from Genesis to Revelations, okay? Not just Matthew to Revelation. He gave us the entire Bible. Why? For the perfecting of the saints. So please do not write off the Old Testament. The Old Testament is awesome. And the more you dig into it, the more you dig into God's law, you will see that there is no randomness to God. Every little thing, every little detail, every little thing that happens in the Old Testament has meaning and significant and preaches Christ. That's what the Old Testament does. It preaches Christ. So get rid of that book. Get rid of that page. Tear it out of your Bible and begin to check out what the Old Testament has to say. It has some wonderful, some awesome, some cryptic, some neat stuff in it, all for the perfecting of the saints. So start checking out the New Testament. So I I mentioned I have been in the law lately, the Pentateuch, those first five books, okay? And if you've heard any of my preaching lately, you have heard me mention a day called Yom Kippur, okay? What that is, that's actually a, a... 
the Day of Atonement in Judaism. The, the Jewish people celebrate this day. I believe it's maybe like October 8th or 9th or something like that as a day where they observe, they fast and pray that it is derived from Scripture. In Leviticus chapter 16, Yom Kippur is laid out. It is direction from God given to Moses, and Moses then speaks it to the high priest who is to perform the Yom Kippur duties. The Yom Kippur was the day of atonement where that priest, that one day, that year, that high priest was allowed to go in to the most holy place and perform the sacrifice and the rituals that God wanted them to do so to cover for their sins, to atone for their sins. That's what Yom Kippur is. It is mentioned and it is talked about in Leviticus chapter 16. Now, I'm not going to read the whole chapter. It's, it's kind of long, but I suggest that you do sometime. Read Leviticus chapter 16. It's very much worth looking at because there's some very interesting things that happen in Leviticus chapter 16. There is a somewhat strange ritual that Aaron is commanded to perform when he enters the tabernacle on that Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. And I want to read about that. I want to focus on this one strange aspect of this ritual that is performed on this day. Leviticus chapter 16, verse 3 says, Thus shall Aaron come into the holy place with a young bullock for a sin offering in a ram for a burnt offering. So he, Aaron is commanded from God to Moses, from Moses to Aaron. Aaron's the high priest. He is commanded to go in with this young bullock and a ram for a burnt offering. So two sacrifices he has to make on this day of atonement. Okay, He has to make a sin offering with the young bullock. And he has to make a burnt offering with the ram. So two offerings. Okay, So basic mathematics here. Now listen. In I'm sorry, Leviticus chapter 16, verse 5. Okay, skip down to verse 5. It says, And he shall take of the congregation of the children of Israel two kid goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Now, that's interesting to me because my mathematics isn't starting to line up here. We just read he's commanded to make two sacrifices, right? The bullock and the kid goat, the ram. But then why is he commanded to take, verse 5 tells us, three animals. Two sacrifices, three animals. My mathematics says if you need two sacrifices, you take two animals. Interesting. Let's see what the Bible's getting at. Verse 6. And Aaron shall offer his bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make an atonement for himself and for his house. So that first sacrifice that Aaron performs is for his sins and for the sins of his family. To cleanse himself, the high priest. Okay, easy to understand. Verse 7, And he shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. Hmm. And Aaron shall bring the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell and offer him for a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement with him and let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. 
So this first bullock that he brings in cleanses Aaron, cleanses his family, okay? He, he performs this ritual, this sacrifice, it cleanses the high priest. Then the two kid goats, the two young goats, he says, the Bible says in those scriptures, it says he cast lots upon them. Now, I don't know if it's he had two lengths of stick and he hid them in his hand and he pulled one and one represented one goat or the other or whether he rolled dice or maybe he flipped the stick and whichever one it pointed at, but he casted lots on one and the one that the lot pointed at, that one was a sacrifice for the sins of the people, okay? But then the other one, it says, is this scapegoat. Interesting. So that's why there's three animals taken in there. Two of them are sacrificed, but that third one is presented to the Lord as a scapegoat. Hmm. What in the world is a scapegoat? And remember, this is only done once a year on this Day of Atonement, on this Yom Kippur. Okay, so he went in, this first bullock. It says, now I won't read you all the details of everything that he does, but he enters in. Now, you couldn't just go into the most holy place. Regular people like you and I, we couldn't go in. We'd be struck dead. Even the priest, if he didn't wear the correct clothing and do everything right, wash and cleanse the right way, he would be struck dead. And actually, if you look in Leviticus, they burnt incense in this special thing, and they had to have this incense burning, and it gave off an, a sweet-smelling odor, and it also put off a mist or a smoke, if you will, that clouded that most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was, where the mercy seat was. It clouded that whole place to make it difficult to see so that when the priest went in there, he was not struck dead by the power of God because his vision was clouded a little bit. Because you can't just go in there, waltz right in, and look at God. No, it had to be clouded a little bit. And then he sacrificed this first bullock for himself to cleanse himself and his family. And he would take his fingers and dip them in blood. And he dripped it. I think it was seven times the blood dripped onto the mercy seat. And then he would go back out. Then he did. Remember, he casted the lots. And the one that the lot fell on was to be the sacrifice to make atonement for the people. So he pretty much does the same thing. With the incense, make sure it's clouded into the most holy place. Make sure you can't see good. Make sure the, there's a sweet-smelling savor in there. He does the same thing this, with the second time. And he goes in, and it's clouded. He can't see. And he, he dips his finger in this goat, and he drips it too on the mercy seat seven times. So those are his first two sacrifices, dripping the blood onto the mercy seat. But I really don't want to focus on those first two sacrifices and exactly what they mean and exactly what the significance of those are. That's just background information. Okay? But rather, I'd like to see what's going on with this scapegoat. Something tells me there's something special or significant about the scapegoat. The one that the lot didn't fall on, that's presented to the Lord alive. The Bible says that's the scapegoat. And remember, this is the commandment from God. This is God set this up. Not men, God did. Something tells me there's something about it. Leviticus, now, now we're going to start getting into the good stuff here. Leviticus 16, 20 says, And when he hath made an end of reconciling the holy place, 
the tabernacle of the congregation, and the altar, he shall bring the live goat, the scapegoat, the one that the lot fell on. In verse 21 says, And Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions in all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. And the goat shall bear upon him all the iniquities unto a land not inhabited, and he shall let the goat go in the wilderness." So Aaron took this scapegoat, the high priest, one time a year, casted lots. He took this live goat and presented it to the Lord, and he placed both his hands on the head of this goat, this scapegoat, and pronounced all of the sins of the entire nation of Israel on this one live goat. Well, that kind of begs the question, first things first, what is a scapegoat? I know most of us probably know, but essentially is a scapegoat is someone you blame for something you did, right? Blaming someone else for your own mistakes. Has anyone in here, I'm sure most of us, ever been someone else's scapegoat? I have. It's not very fun, is it? I don't find it very fair to be someone else's scapegoat. I don't want to be someone else's scapegoat. One time it happened to me years ago in work. This is a long time ago, so please forgive me for my actions. I was very immature and foolish. But someone tried to make me a scapegoat at work. It didn't go over very well. I'm not taking the fall for you, man. And that's what I told him. And he kind of threatened to do this and that. And I said, let's go. Let's go. I didn't do it. This is your fault. I'm not taking the fall for you, man. I'm not your scapegoat. Go find someone else. If I make a mistake, I'll own up to it. But if you do, you own up to it. I ain't your scapegoat, man. And it ain't going over this way. Like I said, I was young. Please forgive me. I'm foolish and immature. and Wasn't a well-refined pastor back then. <laughs> Sometimes I'm not now, but Lord have mercy. But all of us have been someone's scapegoat. Been blamed for something you didn't do. Been blamed for something that they did. Listen to me, church. If you rob a bank, I'm not taking the fall for you. Uh Uh-uh. If you screw up, you're taking the fall. Don't look at me. You're the one going to jail. Don't try to make me your scapegoat. That's what a scapegoat is, okay? It's, It's pointing at someone else. It's assigning blame to someone else for something that's your fault. Okay? That's what a scapegoat is. Blaming someone else. Pointing a finger at someone else. When very well, in fact, you're the guilty party. Back to Leviticus. So Aaron, this high priest, this one time a year, brought this goat in. And he would lay his hands on the head of this scapegoat and pronounce all the sins of the entire nation on this goat. On this scapegoat. Imagine Aaron putting his hands on there and just shouting, lust, greed, hatred, variance, murder, thievery, adultery, idolatry. Screaming and shouting all of these horrible, disgusting, vile things and placing them on this goat. That's what he did. That's what the commandment of the Lord was. 
say all those sins onto this scapegoat. All those vile things, drunkenness, and whatever else kind of debauchery the people of Israel did was placed on the head, was spoken on, was pronounced on to this scapegoat. All the filth that they committed, all the foolish things that they said and looked at. And after Aaron pronounced all that filth onto the scapegoat, I mean, and the people were clean. They were good to go. They were cleansed of their sins. They were covered. It doesn't work out very well for the scapegoat now, does it? The scapegoat didn't actually commit those sins. The people did. But there Aaron is is placing all those sins on the scapegoat. They're the ones that committed it. The goat didn't do it. The goat's just an animal. Imagine that. The guy that actually committed adultery can say, I'm clean now. There's your adulterer right there. Not me. I'm good to go. That's the adulterer, the goat. Imagine that. The, the drunk, the, the man that beat his wife, the pedophile, you, you name whatever kind of debauchery people get into. He could say, oh, I'm clean now. There's the guilty party. There's the goat. That does not sound very fair to me, poor goat. It didn't do anything wrong. Now, This scapegoat is this hate-filled, whoremonger, adulterer, thief, murderer, gossiper, you name it. That's what the goat is now. Aaron pronounced all those things onto that goat. Now that is what that goat is. In a way, it took all the sins of the nation of Israel... God of all in it places them on the head of the goat. Now the people are cleansed, they're clean, and this goat, this scapegoat's a piece of filth. While the people that actually committed the sins walk free. They're good. Now remember, this is not a man-made ritual. It is not man-made No man came up with this so that they could feel better about the guilt of their sin. This is God's command. This is God spoke this to Moses. Moses recorded it and he presented it to the high priest and says, this is what God says to do. This is not man's way. This is God's way. All done by the commandment of God. It is not a man-made ritual to make man feel innocent again. This is a commandment of God. He said to do this. He said to take your sins and place them upon that scapegoat. So this means that after Aaron pronounced all the sins of the entire nation of Israel on the scapegoat, before the eyes of God, the scapegoat was then the guilty party. Guilty for transgressing the law of God. Guilty for breaking the commands of God. The people were cleansed and covered The scapegoat is now the guilty party before the eyes of God. This is is God's ritual. Imagine the poor scapegoat didn't actually commit any of those sins. Now is guilty 
in God's eyes. Guilty. And doesn't just bear a sin or two. Bears the sins of the entire nation. The entire nation is heaped upon the back of this goat. Pronounced upon the head of this goat. The scapegoat takes the blame for the entire nation of Israel. The scapegoat carries the guilt of all the people of the nation. The scapegoat becomes a vile thing because it carries everything from thievery to drunkenness upon its shoulders. The scapegoat took the fall for the nation of Israel. Every day, once a year, this was their ritual on the day of Yom Kippur. Then the Bible says they got a fit man. I read a few moments ago, Leviticus says they got a fit man. They, got, they looked around, who's the most physically fit person here? Who's the strongest? Who can run the farthest? Who can hike the highest mountains? Who can get to the most remote places away from this camp? They went and got a fit man to take this goat into the wilderness. Okay, they, they found this fit man and they would say, hey, Take this goat as far away as you can go to the most remote location that you can possibly go. Farthest away from here. We don't want to ever see this thing again. I don't care what you do with it. Just get it out of my face. This is a vile, disgusting animal. Get it out of here. It's filled with sin, hate, lust, greed, murder, everything. Get it out of here. Well, who's the strongest man here? That's who we want to take this thing Clear out of here. Where, wherever, hike the furthest, climb up a giant mountain that this, you know this thing can't be, get back down. We don't care what happens to the goat. I don't care if it falls off a cliff and dies. I don't care if it gets attacked by wolves and gets eaten. We don't care. This thing is disgusting. Just make sure it doesn't find its way back. We just want rid of it. The scapegoat bore all those vile sins, so the people wanted rid of it. Goat, leave us and never come back. You're disgusting. We're clean, but you're vile and filthy. And they took this thing for wherever remote location that this fit man, a wilderness, a desert, a cliff, a mountain, so that it wouldn't find its way back to the nation of Israel, to the camp, wherever they were. Symbolic of, we don't want that filth returning to us, coming back to us. We don't want those sins to find their way back into our lives. So this fit man does just that. We don't, we don't want idolaters here in the nation of Israel, and that goat is an idolater, so get it out of here. We reject this idolater. This fit man would take this goat, hike far out into the wilderness, and leave it. Who cares what happened? And he would hike his way back home, leaving the scapegoat behind. Verse 22 in Leviticus says, and the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities into a land not inhabited, and he shall let go the goat in the wilderness. The poor goat. Life didn't work out very well for that goat. Now, did it? He 
things just being a regular goat just happened to be without spot, without blemish. And now look, it carries the sins of the whole, every vile thing or it is placed onto the head of this goat. And now after all that's finished, this fit man comes back. He returns back to the camp of the Israelites. All those involved in this ritual wash themselves. They, they cleanse themselves. And the, the last scripture in that chapter says, And this shall be an everlasting statute unto you to make an atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins once a year. And he did as the Lord commanded Moses. That is what God commanded them to do. And they observed, and that is what historically, that is the ritual that they performed to atone for the sins of the nation of Israel. The people were clean, and God would remember their sins no more because their sins were taken, placed on the scapegoat, and the scapegoat was taken out and left to die, to be eaten, to fall off a cliff, whatever. They didn't care about that part. This is a, quite a ritual, isn't it? Very interesting, very elaborate ceremony to cover for the sins of the nation of Israel. Listen, it's important to note something. This scapegoat ritual that I just spent the last few minutes telling you is not performed anymore. They do not do this anymore, okay? Yes, there still is a Yom Kippur. It's more or less the Jewish people have a day of observance, a day of prayer, a day of fasting, but they do not perform this ritual anymore. It's an observation, a day of fasting and prayer. Coincidentally, and even mysteriously, all of these tabernacle rituals stopped. They haven't done them for a long time now, many thousands of years. They all stopped. These rituals, the scapegoat, shouting and pronouncing the sins of the nation on this, the casting the lots, the incense, and the going into the uh, holy of holies, the most holy place. The sprinkling of the blood on the mercy seat. They actually did that stuff. They haven't done this stuff. They haven't performed any of these ceremonies mysteriously, coincidentally, after the crucifixion of a man named Jesus Christ. These tabernacle rituals have not been performed since around the year 70 A.D., not long after Jesus Christ was crucified, they all stopped, and they have never been done since. What does this mean? Why are those rituals not performed anymore? Why is the scapegoat ritual not performed? Why did they quit doing it? I'll tell you why. Because so, we don't need to perform the scapegoat ritual anymore. We don't need to do it anymore. Because we have an eternal 
scapegoat in the man, Jesus Christ. That's why they don't do it anymore. It doesn't need to be done anymore. I don't need to actually perform this ritual as spoken in Leviticus chapter 16 because Christ is the eternal scapegoat to us. He took the fall for the sins of the world. He takes our sin, the things that I did, the things that you did, we take them and place them upon this man named Jesus Christ. There is no need for us to perform this ritual anymore because Christ Jesus is the eternal scapegoat. He took the blame for the sins of the entire world. Jesus bore the iniquities upon his head. His shoulders slumped over from the weight of the world upon his back. Upon his shoulders hung the guilt of the entire world. The Old Testament, Leviticus, preaches Christ Jesus. That's what it is. God had this all planned out even way back then. All Leviticus does is points to the cross of Jesus Christ. That's what it does. It's symbolic of the scapegoat. It points to Christ, the eternal scapegoat. Therefore, we don't need to perform these rituals anymore because our sin is placed on Christ, the scapegoat. He paid the price for my sins. He paid the price for your sins. Listen to what Isaiah chapter 53 says. One of the most ultimate chapters in the entire Bible. If you're not familiar with Isaiah 53, when the service is over, instantaneously go home and familiarize yourself with Isaiah chapter 53. I have a hard time reading Isaiah chapter 53. I have a very difficult time reading it. Listen to what Isaiah 53 says. We'll start in verse 3. It says, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our Punishment, peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he has done no violence, neither, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. He shall see the travail of his soul, and he shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he has poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. He was he bare the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ is our eternal scapegoat. 
He took the fall for what I did. He took the fall for what you did. He is the scapegoat, the eternal scapegoat. He took the blame for our transgressions and for our iniquities. The sins of the whole world were taken from the world, all the people of the world, and placed onto the scapegoat, Christ Jesus, as he was on the cross. He is the scapegoat. Listen, I committed the sins, but he took the punishment. I did the stuff, but he did the time. He took the fall. He took the blame, the the guilt, before the eyes of God was on him. The Lord bruised him. It pleased the Lord. Jesus is the eternal scapegoat. I committed the sins, but he took the punishment. I can walk around clean now. Because my sin was taken and placed upon the scapegoat now before the eyes of God. Because this is his ritual. I am clean. I am made righteous. I can now go to God and pray. I'm reconciled to God. God views me. And if you're saved and you're born again Christian, he views you as clean in the eyes of God. Because someone else took your sins upon them. They were placed on someone else's head. They were heaped on someone else's back. Christ Jesus, the scapegoat. I committed the sins, but he became the vile one. I should have been the vile one. I should have been the guilty one. I should have been the one to pay for my transgressions and my sins. Me, you. But we heap them on someone else in the name Christ Jesus. But I put my sins on the head of the scapegoat. Hallelujah. I love this fact. When John the Baptist saw Jesus and he saw him coming, he said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. That's what he shouted to everybody. Behold, when he saw him coming, because he knew he was the scapegoat. He knew that he would be the one to take the blame for all the sins of the whole world. The Apostle Paul, when he talked about Jesus, he shouted, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, that we might be made righteous. Jesus never committed the sins. We did the sins. He didn't, but yet He was made sin. By the ordinance of God, He was made sin. Why? So that I could be righteous. So that I could be clean. Hallelujah. I need the band to make their way up here. Listen, when Peter saw Jesus, he said, He bore our sins in His own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness. You understand, before you're saved, you are a dead man walking. You are a deceased person. You are guilty in the eyes of God. Guilty. Your sins are still upon you. But when you accept the work we preached about the cross a few weeks ago when you accept the work of Christ Jesus that he did upon that cross you can transfer your sins your guilt your shame onto the man Jesus Christ we were dead to sins he bare our sins on that tree that's why I love the cross so much wow brothers and sisters aren't you thankful for the eternal scapegoat Aren't you thankful for Jesus Christ? I am. I understand. Today's Palm Sunday. 
And I think it's awesome. I was reading a little bit about Palm Sunday just to re-familiarize myself with it. But as Jesus was coming in, riding down the hill at the Mount of Olives, his disciples were going crazy. The people were going crazy. They were saying, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna. And the Pharisees came and said, hey, Jesus, tell your people to be quiet. They're shouting, Hosanna in the highest. They're waving the palm branches. Hosanna to Jesus. Hosanna. They say, hey, be quiet. Tell those people to be quiet. And Jesus says, if I tell them to be quiet, then even the rocks will cry out. That's how awesome that the Lord Jesus is. I love the Lord this morning.